Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, but not just any episode. We have hit the half-century mark on the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast, episode number 50. I'm so thankful, and I just want to thank you, all the fans out there, for downloading and listening, and please keep sharing the podcast and spreading it around, not only to basketball fans in the TriCast, but everywhere and anywhere uh, that you know college basketball fans. So, As we hit week two of January, 2023, here's my question. Who is the hottest team in the tri-state? It's not UConn. It's not Rutgers. It's not even Iona or Princeton. All teams having great seasons and great stretches. Are you ready for this? The hottest team in the tri-state is the Seton Hall women. They have won 11 of their last 12 games. The only loss in that stretch was to UConn. They're 6-1 and one in the Big East for the first time in eight years. And it is my pleasure now to welcome the head coach of your Seton Hall University women's basketball team, Tony Bazella, a friend of this podcast, a friend of mine. Coach, good to see you and talk to you again. How are you? Great to see you, Bri. And thank you again for having me on your wonderful podcast. And congratulations, a half century mark. That's really exciting. Yeah, 50 is a good number. You know, I love 50. That's great. Yeah, thank you. Uh, 50 is good. Nifty at 50. And and you've been uh, on a few of those yourself. So I appreciate you as always, Coach. I, I love being on. Thank you. Thank you. So here we go. Your most recent win, Providence uh, on the road. Any road win is a, is a is a good win, Coach, in my book. You took the lead in the first quarter. You jumped on them. Your team took care of business once again. What can you say about your most recent win on Sunday over the Friars? That was a good win, bro. You know, on the road in the Big East, um, Providence had just won at Creighton on Wednesday. So we knew we were going to be in for a hard game. Coach Crowley's an outstanding coach. And his team is really much more up-tempo. So I think, you know, it took us a little bit by surprise, even though we had talked about it. Um, but we were able to get a lead and maintain that lead. You know, we had it to 18 and 16, then it got down to five. And Providence has come back a bunch of times this year. They were down 14, I think, or 12 or 14 to Creighton and came all the way back. Mm-hmm. So um, we were lucky that we got a big stop at the end of the third quarter. Um, we called timeout. Coach Rubinbos really drew up a great play. Uh, Lauren Park Lane executed, gets an N1, puts us up eight. We come down, get another stop. We hold for the last shot of the quarter, and we get a four-point play, a three by Shea Hagens, and she got fouled. So our lead, which was five, where they missed, could have been three or two, was 12 at the end of the quarter, and we were able to just hold on and maintain that lead from that point on. Um, but it was tough. I mean, we were tired, you know, at the end of that game. And uh, today, you know, and then obviously we're going out to play tomorrow night with for Creighton. But, you know, I give our kids a lot of credit. That was a hard-fought win. Yeah, Coach, you said it right there, right? You build a double-digit lead. That was the key sequence in the game. You know, I, I know you still have a fourth quarter there, yeah. but I mean, you talk about a dagger. All right. They cut it to to five with a minute and a half to play, like you said, and you get two and ones. Warren yeah. Park Lane gets the three point play. And then you don't see it too often where you get a four point play as as Hagens gets fouled in the corner and 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 gets the free throw. So that doesn't happen every day, coach. So no. for all intents and purposes, that that was the sequence of the game. Yeah, that was a dagger right there. We, we, you know, we we knew going in that fourth quarter, the double-digit lead, you know, with Lauren and Amari Wright and Shea Higgins, it's hard to press us. So 
if we could just, you know, get some good shots, not turn the ball over, which we did, um, we would be able to maintain that lead. So how about the play? I want to get to Lauren Park Lane in a minute. She and Sydney, those are your two returning stars. But how about Shaylin Hagens? She she's a very good player for Penn State. She comes over here, and and boy, she added uh, a, a a third person to your three headed monster there, and and uh, goes for a career high twenty two in that game against Providence. You know, Bri, you hit the nail on the head. She she's just a tremendous person, player defensively. She's the best. You know, defensive guard I've had in a long time. Her and Mari are, are fantastic. LP's actually gotten even w- really good too. Um, but she just does everything. She f- fills a role, makes open shots, finishes in transition. Is a, a tremendous defender. We would nowhere, n- nowhere be where we are without her today. I love her. I love her game, and then she's just been just amazing uh, person to be around. Always in a good mood. Always takes accountability. Um, you know, we have some great MVP candidates on our team, but she's right there. Wow. And and how about her three-point shot? I went back and looked to see what she had done in her career. And I think in three years at Penn State, she had hit 34 threes by my count. She's already yeah. hit 24. She's almost at, at, at 50% from three or over 50% from, from three for you this year. Uh, she's doing quite well from three. What, what's been the transformation there for, for Shaylen Hagens? She's worked hard. She's worked hard with our staff, comes and shoots every day. Um, she has no ego. It's not about her. It's about the team. She just wants to win. Um, and I, I think she's very relaxed playing for us. She just is in a good niche. I mean, I give the coach of Penn State a lot of credit. She said, listen, you know, she's a great kid. You know, she just wants a, a different type of role than what we have for her here at Penn State. You're going to love her. She's going to do great for you. And she's right. I mean, Coach Keeger said it. And, you know, to, to, to chase, you know, credit, she just never – you know, took a back seat um, to anyone. She just comes in, plays her game, does what she's supposed to do. Uh, I, I love her. I really do. Uh, you mentioned another player, Omari Wright. Uh, I, I think she was in concussion protocol earlier this year, and and thank goodness she's okay. Uh, how about what she's done for your rotation? I have to tell you, Bright. Omari is, you know, missing her. You know, we didn't have her for Columbia and Princeton. And, you know, they're great teams, but we win those games if Omari played. She's one of the best defensive guards I've ever coached. Um, she dominated the St. John's game on the defensive end. Like no one ever has for us in a long time, seven steals, but was everywhere. Wow. You know, seven, eight, seven <laughs> finished with 18 points, shut oh. them, their best players down. Uh, she's just a really smart, intelligent player. So smart, Bri. And, you know, she's a junior now. She understands the big East. She understands, you know, everything about it. And, um, we just Really, like I, I said, Samari would start for nine of the 11 teams in the Big East to point, not because they don't have really good players, but because she's that good a player. Uh, listen, you, you're saying a lot here. You know, you had the big guns coming back. You add these new faces and, and you also add a freshman to the mix. How about the freshman from my home state of Connecticut, from East Hartford, uh, Shaylin Pinckney, who uh, has started a number of games for you. Listen, I'm one of the best Big East teams in in uh, in the conference to have a true freshman starting. That's pretty big. Yeah, I love her. Great kid, works hard, tremendous defender. Hmm. Uh, you know, gets ten to twenty minutes a game, um, but doesn't complain about anything. Um, really gives us a lot of energy. When we were struggling after we had lost in on Thanksgiving Day to VCU, we as a staff said, "Who gives us the most energy?" And she did. So we inserted her in the starting lineup, and we're eleven and one since. She has to miss a beat. Brian, she oh. beat her butt. She played a great game against Rutgers as well. 
we love her. Um, we really do. And and I want to um, just compliment her parents. They they All they care about is, is their daughter, you know, helping us win. Um, they have no ego. They're great. And um, she's going to be a star in this program. She's a star in her own right right now in a different way because defensively and does a lot of things. But she's very good, works hard, guards the other teams, um, one of their best players as well, too. Hey, Coach, it's it's not too often that – you know, Seton Hall goes into the state of Connecticut and, and you know, where Gino Oriema is bigger than the governor and, and you get the Gatorade State Player of the Year to go from Connecticut to Seton Hall. So so great job to you and your staff on on getting Pinckney to come to your school. Yeah, Coach DeFalco did a great job during um, we had seen her right before COVID and Coach DeFalco targeted her as a kid who could be really good for us. And, you know, and, and you know, COVID hit and, you know, all this stuff. And we we had fostered a really good relationship with Shaylin and her family. And she was very respectful about it. And she really, you know, honored our commitment to her before a lot of other teams saw her. So she chose us based on the, you know, the the relationships that we had developed as a staff with her, especially Coach Falco. Excellent. Nice, nice job. So, so the team is meshing. Let's go back to earlier in the year because you already alluded to it. You went through a tough stretch, back-to-back losses to Princeton and then Columbia. Uh, Princeton, a very good team in their own right. Like you said, you were a little bit short-staffed there. Then you go to the Paradise Jam, lose a heartbreaker to VCU on a layup with three seconds to go. Then you end the tournament on a high, winning against Wisconsin and then beating who at the time was an undefeated Georgia team. What did that stretch do for this team and and how have you been able to turn it around uh, and and have such great success this year so far? Yeah, I mean, it saved our season. I mean, I'm mm. not going to lie to you. Sitting there at the VCU at two and three, and, you know, I'm a really transparent guy. And and, I, and we said, you know, we met as a staff. We're like, this just might not work. We might just be who we are. It's not playing well. LP seems very uncomfortable. Um, you know, it just didn't feel comfortable. And uh, she just, just wasn't herself. You know, Sydney was struggling. And I was very upset. I was upset because we didn't play with the energy in any of the five games I anticipated. And and I just didn't get it. And, you know, Amari wasn't playing for us yet. And it was just, you know, so we said, listen, we're going to play the kids who have the most energy, start the kids who have the most energy. And um, Coach Falco, you know, we're playing, we're about ready to play Wisconsin. And, and Lauren Park Lane wasn't out yet. And uh, Coach Falco went in the locker room. She says, what's the issue? And LP's like, well, I'm just trying to get everyone involved. You know, I just I just want to get keep everyone happy. Lauren's like, Coach DeFalco goes, you worry about yourself. Get yourself happy. And then everyone else would be happy. Well, LP, I think, dropped 30 or 35 that game. Everyone else was just like, this is great. And <laughs> all of a sudden, it just took off. And yes, I, you know, I, I give Coach DeFalco some credit for um, talking to her. I give Coach Rabimbas and Coach Shakina a lot of credit because they, they also meet with her a lot and, and they talk to her. But at the end of the day, all the credit goes to Lauren Park Lane. Lauren Park Lane said, you know what? I'm going to listen to the advice that I'm giving. I want to be me. She smiles, is having fun, rocking and rolling. It's not a coincidence. It's really not, Brian. Um, you know, as she goes, we go. And I'm really proud of her um, for, for being so mature and handling it. And, you know, she's, she's played like the first team all Big East player we need and we love since that day. She is having a an all-American type season, Coach. Like, let's face it. And you and I have talked about her. What can we say about Lauren Park Lane that hasn't been said already? I mean, she, she's the straw that stirs the drink. She's your bus driver. At five foot three, she is the littlest big player in the country, in my opinion. I just want to bring out some stats. 
before I toss it over to you, recently she scored her 1500th career point, just the eighth player in Seton Hall program history to have 1500 points, right behind another all-time great Jody Brooks. She yep. also this year became the school's all-time leader in assists. I know you have had high praise for all the players we've talked about, but where would you be without Lauren Park Lane? And, and how good is she in the national landscape? She's one of the best players in the country. Tremendous point guard, tremendous leader. She, she's one of the few players in the country that averages 20 points and six assists a game. I don't think there's hardly any, if any. Um, but she's just a great leader. The team knows it's LP's team. LP loves it being her team. They love mm -hmm. it that it is LP's team. And they want it to be LP's team because she's a great kid. You know, she's, 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 you know, you know, Jack and Doris, her parents have raised a wonderful young woman. And um, I'm just so proud of her for, you know, keeping and instilling the values that they instilled in her um, with our team. And Lauren wants to win and expects to win every game, Bri. And when your leader wants that, it's very important. And then Sydney's jumped on board. Sydney's a great leader in her own right. And, um, you know, they're a great team and duo. They really are. And they're not afraid to pass to one another. No, no, no. You well, saw that. Lauren is used to passing it to Sydney inside, but yeah. Sydney can take it outside and she passes it to, to Lauren Park Lane sometimes inside. Great, isn't it? I know. I, I love it. I really do. And they're great kids. They really are. And, 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 and you know, they're unselfish. It's, you know, Sydney's had to sit in some fourth quarters with foul trouble. She's out there cheering her teammates on. She's been a great teammate. It, it has to work, right? Like you said, the chemistry, something has to click. The players need to buy into what the coaches are saying, and they have to accept their roles. Having a star like that, I, I she reminds me of Allen Iverson. I've said it to you. I've said it on this podcast. She reminds me so much of Allen Iverson. Can she become – I looked through the, the list. I don't believe there's ever been a first, second, or third-team All-American in Seton Hall history. A lot of honorable mentions. You coach two good ones in – Deja Simmons and Kadidra Simmons. Yes. Yep. Yeah. But I don't believe there's ever been a first, second, or third team All American coach. It's January, but she's trending in that direction. She, she, I have to tell you, Bri, she can be it. And she deserves it because she is it. Like, you know, at the end of the day, she is it. Like that, that's my thing. She is it. There's no question about it. This is a natural gift. She's, you know, obviously undersized. Her heart is oversized, but the kids in the gym every day doing what she's supposed to do. And that's what the great players do, right? They don't just rest yes. on their laurels. Yes. First one in, last one out. 100%. And she's a prime example of that. So, Coach, now that you're on this, this streak, uh, you know, the schedule up ahead, it never gets easy. Uh, you mentioned next game at Creighton. And, and I know you're not looking ahead, but right behind that, UConn comes in, could be one of the biggest games ever in, in South Orange. And there's been some big ones there. But – you know, how do you get your team ready now for Creighton, the team that you said, you know, took care of Providence recently? Yeah, no, no, Providence actually took care of Creighton. Um, I'm sorry. Right. Creighton took care of Marquette yesterday by a lot. You know, Creighton, obviously, we have a tremendous rivalry with them. There's not a lot of love between either team. Um, you know, we've had um, a lot of physical um, games with them, including three last year. Um, beating them in the in, in the playoffs was a huge, you know, win. Um you know, in, in the quarterfinals of the Big East, um, you know, playing on their home courts, one of the toughest places to play in the country. Um, so we're going to have to really play our best game to date. But we can. 
and you know we practiced hard we played yesterday and came in today and still practiced hard kids knew we had to um led by lauren led by sydney um my memory's been a great player for us as well too in terms of that leadership mm -hmm. as well to play every day um but yeah it's gonna be a, a great battle i mean they were ranked in the top 25 as high as number 13 at some point um you know they're very good very well coached very disciplined create a lot of mismatch problems um you know we're just gonna have to you know stay the course make some shots and defend like we have all year so i know the team's defense has been very good this year but statistically coach you're up there in a lot of offensive categories in the big east first in free throw percentage which i i think shaheen holloway and and the men could use some of your free throw shooters i hate to say it but the facts are the facts, coach. First in the Big East in free throws at 78%. Second in field goal percentage. Uh, third in scoring. First in turnover margin. So there are some pretty key categories that you rank uh, first or in the top three in the Big East. Huge, Brian. We, those, the turnover margins are very important for us. We need to force turnovers to get our offense going, to get easy shots. And we need to be first in, the, in that category. And we need to take care of the ball. And when you have Lauren and Amari, you usually do take care of the ball. Uh, no question. So uh, how hard do you work at free throws? 78%. My gosh, that, that's that's pretty impressive. A lot. I'm not going to lie to you. We don't shoot that many in practice. But what we do do is have really good shooters. So, so that really helps. The men will make theirs eventually, too. I have a lot of confidence in them. I do. They work really hard. I've been to a lot of their practices. Those guys work their rear ends off. You're right, coach, and I'm having a little fun with it, but yeah, no. let's face it, you know, the, the facts don't lie, and you just hit upon something. Maybe sometimes you just have shooters yeah. who can shoot, and and yeah. and that's who you have, whether you practice them or not. Yeah, and, and a lot of it's confidence, Bri. I think at the end of the day, we, you know, our, our kids have confidence. They step up. You know, Lauren, Shay Hagens, you know, they're two of the best free throw shooters in the country. So when you look at this year's team compared to last year's team, uh, last year – was a disappointment that you didn't get to the NCAA tournament. You turned a negative into a positive, went all the way to the WNIT finals and, and put on a great run and a great show and great memories. Uh, what's it going to take at this point in the season? How motivated are they to get to the NCAA tournament? Is that talked about? And where's the motivation? It's the most motivated team I've ever coached because Lauren Park Lane is one of the most motivated players I've ever coached. Um, Listen, I, of course, we all want to make the tournament. I just want to play good every day. I want to have them to have fun. I, this group of 13 has a lot of fun together. They enjoy each other's company. I just want them to have fun, Brian, because when they have fun and they play relaxed, they play really well. We're talented. You know, it's hard. It's hard to make the NCAA tournament. Only 64 teams. I have 360. There's no other sports organization pro that we deal with that has, um, you know, 17% of their teams make the playoffs. You know, most of them are 40 to 50%. That's why, you know, I, I don't want to go off track, but, you know, I, I took some flack from some people I hear on the message board of Seton Hall and on Twitter. Oh, Coach Bazella says 96 is not a bad number. W what's he crazy? You water down the product. Do we really water down the product that we're only allowing 25% of the teams to be in? 25% is still less than any professional sports organization allows in the playoffs. It's still, you play the same amount of days we would play instead of playing two games each on that Tuesday, Wednesday. You play 16 games each on that Tuesday, Wednesday. It's the same amount of days. Now you move into the group of 64 over the weekend like we have in the past, and it's the same tournament. But it also allows teams that maybe aren't quite power five or like we have to be perfect. 
We're 13 and four. We barely get any votes in the AP. We win Georgia. We win Wisconsin. We beat St. John's. You know, we beat Fordham. Like, we're playing everyone we possibly could be playing. We lose by, you know, last second shot to Princeton, Columbia, and VCU. That's all three of our four losses. Like, you know, we scored 70-something points on Connecticut when they had basically almost, you know, a majority of their players. Like, we have a really good team, and our margin for error is so slim. So, you know, I'm not saying I want to make it 96 because it's all about Seton Hall, but what other organization, NHL, NBA, Major League Baseball, you know, M I M um, MLS, they all take 25% of their teams to go to the playoffs. That's all we're asking for is 25%. Doesn't extend the tournament, doesn't extend the dates. All these people are like, well, it's bad for the game. Why? You're still watching the playing games on, on, on Tuesday and Wednesday. So now you have more playing games on Tuesday and Wednesday. That's all you have. Like, I'm a big proponent of a quarter of the teams. It's still 75% of the teams are not making it. Do you know how good we were last year? We were one of the top teams in the country, but because we started off a little slow and because maybe the attention isn't still on women's basketball and needs to be, we didn't get that opportunity. And I'm telling you, this team is one of the best teams I've ever coached. It's a great group and it's led by one of the best players in the country. So, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I know I went long winded on that, but we deserve, we are an NCAA team and we don't, need to be perfect for it. No one's perfect. Like, like, you know, we lost three games in the last minute. What do you want us to be 16 to one? Like it's hard, you know, and, and, and I'm a real proponent of, again, how good a team we have. Coach, I didn't know it would go in that direction. Uh, I have not been one of those. And, and I just listened to everything you said there. I'm not one of those people that is in favor of going to 96 because of what you just said, but hearing you say it would make me think about it a little bit more. You're still rewarding the top seeds. They're not playing that. 32 get a bye. The next 64 play on Tuesday and Wednesday. And now you're back to 64. It's the same thing. Like it's just, so maybe you have a couple more upsets in, in teams 33 through 96. Great. That's in the, the best days of the NCAA tournament are Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yes, I agree. 64 to 16. Now you're just adding two more days of that excitement. Like, I, I don't see why it's so bad. It's still only 25% of the teams. Like, all right, if we want to, it, it would be like having MLB and only having like eight teams in the playoffs. You'd be like, well, that's not even. There's only 32 teams. It'd be like having four teams in the playoffs. Like back when our parents were watching baseball in the, in the <laughs> 40s and 50s. Yeah, because it was like the winner of the West and the East and no, like we know it's exciting. Like I said, the best days of women's basketball, thir- uh, of the NCAA tournament, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Now you're just adding two more days of the best days of it. Well, maybe so, it's, it's, it's exciting. You see upsets. And I just think it'll be, it would be great. And um, again, everyone's thinking just because of me. Yeah, I think us and a lot of teams would benefit from it. But I also think it is still exciting. And I still think you're not watering down the product at all. The people maybe, think- you had, maybe you had 16 and you meet in the middle. Like all negotiations do, and and you get to eighty instead of ninety six. I don't know. At least you bring some discussion to the table. One hundred percent. I, I, that's all I want to do. I want to bring discussion to the table. I just want to know that. Well, no. Well, then let's go to the NBA and tell them to take four teams, and they'd be like, absolutely not. <laughs> well, there's a lot of money at stake, and when there's money yeah. at stake, okay, when there's money at stake, and you have the television contract, and you have things like that. Well, oh, wait a second, we could what make what yes. money talks, right, Coach? No, I, I agree. One hundred percent. I'm not saying you're crazy. 
but I'm not saying that you're not. You're so it gives me it's some okay. I love the debate. <laughs> That's why it's great. Got to have a little, you know, a little action on this. And, and you know, and, and, and the people who don't want to do it, I want to hear their reasons for it. It's great. Sure. And listen, at the end of the day, this year, we will be in the 68. So it's not because of this year. It's we will be in the 68. I do believe it. I, our kids believe it. We got to play good. We got a long way to go, but I'm enjoying right. it. And we have a great group of young women. We really do. And I always say, listen, if you win, it'll take care of itself. And, and if you put yourself to be on the bubble, that's where you deserve to be. But uh, you're trending in the right direction. Good luck against Creighton. And we will be following you all season long, as we always do. Coach Tony Bazella, best of luck. And thanks for coming up. Thanks for having me, Brian. There you have it. Coach Tony Bazella doing another fantastic job this year with the Seton Hall women's basketball program. Always great to have Tony on the show. He brings so much energy each and every time. And look, I didn't know he was going to say we should have 96 teams in the NCAA tournament. I just think that's a high number, but it does get us talking. Hey, we didn't think that it would be a good idea to go from 48 to 64, 64 to 65. And there was backlash going to 68. Would it surprise me if they expand it once again? No, I'm not in favor of 96. I hear what he's saying. But let's look at it from the other side. There are also teams in Division I that don't belong in Division I. It's really and truly watered down. So if you really want to talk about percentages, I mean, 360-plus teams or whatever it is, you could easily go back down to 300. But it's all about money. So I hear you, Coach. I hear you. Can we expand a little bit? Sure. Would it surprise me? No. 96, a little high for me, but like I said, when negotiations happen, sometimes you meet in the middle and maybe it goes to 80 or whatever the number might be. We shall see. Let's go around the Tri-State now as we finish off episode 50 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Let's begin with Rutgers and what a week it was for the Scarlet Knights. Now, look, I know some Scarlet Knight fans are disappointed that they didn't beat Iowa at home and they weren't ranked this week in the top 25. But look, you're still receiving votes. You're still on the radar. Your net is still in good standing. And if I told you, Rutgers fans, at the beginning of January, that you would look at three games in seven days at Purdue, home to Maryland, and home to Iowa, what would you say? You know what you'd say. We can win two out of three. We have to go two and one. Well, guess what? You did. It just didn't happen the way you thought. You pick up one of the biggest wins of the season at Purdue on one of the biggest shots of the season, a three by Cam Spencer to shock the number one team in the country for the second straight year. Oh, by the way, Steve Peichel, the only coach in Rutgers program history to beat a number one team, not once, but twice. And he's done it in a span of 13 months. Then you follow that up when Coach Peichel said, this game is going to be of huge importance. How do you follow up a win like Purdue? Do you lay an egg against Maryland or do you come back like good teams do and beat the next team? That's exactly what Rutgers did. They took care of business against Maryland in their building and never gave Maryland a shot.
because they played stifling defense all game long. But then, look, I'm not even going to call it stubbing their toe. Sometimes a great defense like Rutgers, the best defense in the Big Ten, can run up against an offense like Iowa, one of the best statistically, the second best offensive team in the Big Ten. And that team just makes shots. My colleague and friend, Frank Papalia, said to me, was it a question that Rutgers' defense just wasn't that good or was it Iowa's offense? You know what? You can never have enough shooters. That's what I've always learned. And Iowa has shooters up and down that roster. Peyton Sanford had come into the game, I think, shooting something like one for 14 from three. He got hot. This was his game to break out of his slump. It just happened to happen against Rutgers. Chris Murray, who's going to be playing in the NBA. Aaron Eulis, Connor McCaffrey, even Tony Perkins, the psycho. Anthony Perkins can hit threes. They have shooters. That's what Iowa does. And look, sometimes it's also about matchups. Iowa right now is not a great matchup for Rutgers. They have beaten Rutgers five of the last six times over the last four seasons. Iowa just matches up with Rutgers, just like Rutgers matches up better against Indiana. You know how that feels, don't you, Rutgers fans? Okay, so sometimes it's about matchups. Sometimes the other team makes shots. Twice in this game, Rutgers made runs. Iowa did what great teams do. They came into Rutgers building. They took the fans out of it. They built an early lead. Rutgers made a run. Iowa ends the half on an 8-0 run. They answered the bell. Second half, the crowd comes alive. Rutgers cuts it to five. Peyton Sanford, 3-3. Three, three. The lead's back up to 11. Game over. Iowa answered every Rutgers run. So look, you still had a great week. You went 2-1. and one. Now, another tough week ahead because it just keeps coming and coming in the Big Ten. At Northwestern and home to Ohio State. Look, again, it's probably a split. You take a one-in-one week. Northwestern is good. Chris Collins has this team playing great basketball. This team just won at Indiana, at Michigan State, and home to Illinois. They're 3-1 and one in the Big Ten, not by accident, not by playing the lower teams in the Big Ten. They have beaten two ranked teams. This team's good, and they're playing at home. So maybe that's a loss. Would it shock me if Rutgers goes in there and wins? No. But I'm saying it's likely going to be a one-in-one week. So that's Rutgers week ahead. The team is still on track. The metrics are there. The bracketologists are putting them right now anywhere between a seven and a nine seed. It's early, but you're in a good spot. UConn was a team that everyone had pegged for, you know, number one in the country, final four, national championship, and then they have gone through a tough schedule. Nobody blames the schedule more than Kevin Willard. I heard him in his press conference. I was sitting in that room and I heard him say, sometimes the schedule dictates how you play. 
The schedule has dictated how UConn has played. They have come back to earth. They are in the midst of the toughest stretch of their schedule. At Xavier, at Providence, home to Creighton, and at Marquette. Three of those teams are now ranked in the top 25. Xavier's number 12, Providence's number 19, and Marquette checks in this week at 25. So you're talking about three ranked teams in four games. And oh, by the way, Creighton was a top five team in the beginning of the year. So it didn't shock me that UConn lost at Xavier and at Providence. Not at all. They took care of business at home against Creighton, a team that is healthy, a team that, in my opinion, right now is a top three team in the Big East when healthy. They have the best starting five in the Big East, in my opinion, and UConn beat them 69 to 60. Why? Because their stars showed up. Adama Sinogo, the preseason Big East player of the year, stepped up and outplayed Ryan Kalkbrenner. You don't think for a minute that those two have big egos and don't think for a second that both players did not want to prove it against the other. Because Ryan Kalkbrenner made it clear that he felt slighted that Sonogo was named the Big East Player of the Year in the preseason. And Sonogo heard that, read the comments. Sonogo had a little chip on his shoulder in this game. They went to him early and often. He got Kalkbrenner into foul trouble. He was a force. He had help, of course, like you always do in games like this. Jordan Hawkins did his share with 17. This team, we know UConn is deep. We've said it all year. They showed their depth in this game. Now, in my opinion, their Achilles heel is they don't have that all-star, first-team, all-Big East shot maker on the wing who can get his shot and create his shot at any moment, whether he has the ball in his hands as a point guard or on the wing. That Ray Allen, Rip Hamilton, Kemba Walker, Shabazz Napier, Ryan Boatwright, that type of player. Do they need that type of player? No, but there's going to come time in there's going to come times in games that they will need that type of player. That to me is the only thing missing from this UConn team. They are tremendous. They showed resolve. They faced adversity with two straight losses, came up with a big win at home. Now they have to travel to Marquette. Shaka Smart has that team playing like a top 25 team. That's going to be another test for UConn this week as they finish this gauntlet of a schedule before they go and play St. John's at home and then come to Seton Hall the following week. UConn has righted the ship. We'll see where they go from here. Seton Hall has righted the ship as well. They got walloped at Creighton. It was never a contest. The Blue Jays, wait, this just in. I just got word that Creighton has hit another three against Seton Hall. Look, 
like Iowa has a lot of shooters, Creighton has a lot of shooters. Now look, UConn limited those shooters to two of 16. UConn has the length, UConn has the athletes on the wing and the height to deal with those shooters. Seton Hall, it just wasn't a good matchup against Creighton. Sometimes, like I said, you match well, sometimes you don't match up well. Butler wasn't a good matchup for Seton Hall because Seton Hall responded in a big way following that loss to Creighton. Shaheen Holloway said in his postgame comments, he challenged some of the players. The players got together. Holloway challenged one player in particular, Trey Jackson, and he responded with his best performance of the season. Jackson had 15 points. He was three for three from three. Man, he looked so smooth. He was in rhythm. He didn't take a bad shot. There was one play in this game that he drove to the hoop. And time and time again, we've seen Trey Jackson get blocked or not take it up strong. He not only took it up strong, but he went to another level. It was like he elevated and finished strong. And I was like, man. He found another gear when he took off. That's the Trey Jackson that Seton Hall needs. The aggressive one, the one that can defend. The one that, in my opinion, is the best three-point shooter on this team. He certainly has the prettiest stroke. But too many times, Trey Jackson has disappeared. Too many times, Trey Jackson has followed up a 21-point performance against Georgetown. And gone invisible the next game with one point, three fouls in six minutes. Where does Trey Jackson go from here? We're not asking for 15 points each and every game, but how about hitting a couple of threes? How about playing great defense? Being active, being involved, he can do that. He's a former top 100 player. The potential is there. Seton Hall needs him. They also need Tyrese Samuel, who came up with his biggest game with 19 points and seven rebounds. Without Tyrese Samuel starting this game against Butler the way he did and taking over the game and scoring inside and establishing control in the paint, Seton Hall does not win this game. They also got a near triple-double from Kaderi Richmond. 11 points, nine assists, eight rebounds. To his credit, Shaheen Holloway said after the game, that's my fault. I took him out of the game with about eight minutes to go. He didn't know that Richmond was one assist and two rebounds from becoming only the second player in Seton Hall history and first in a Big East game to get a triple-double. The only other player was Eddie Griffin. He was the last player to get a triple-double but he didn't do it in a Big East game. It's never happened. Holloway said afterward, that's on me. He said he didn't want to throw his assistance under the bus. Well, guess what? I'm going to do it. Holloway is so locked into the game, he's not looking at statistics. But somebody on that bench should have went over to Holloway and said, hey, coach, you know he's close to a triple-double. He just needs one assist and two rebounds. Keep him in the game or, or let's put him back in. In my opinion, that would have been the right thing to do. 
I'm sure it doesn't bother Richmond too much, but it would have been nice. And I'm sure he would have gotten it because he was playing that type of game. He certainly would have gotten the assist. And the way he rebounds, he would have gotten in there and gotten two more rebounds. It would have been an incredible individual accomplishment. Their offense gets the credit for shooting over 50%, but I'm going to credit their defense. They held Butler to 27% shooting in the game. That does not happen too often where you hold a team under 30%. Guess what? It's the fourth time this season, fourth time, that the Pirates have held an opponent to under 30%. But the first time against the Big East team. The other times it's happened were against Monmouth, Drexel, and St. Peter's. So let's give this team the credit. Holding Butler to under 27, to, to under 30% shooting. And oh, by the way, Butler, okay, they're not in the upper half of the Big East, but this is a team that beat Kansas State, who, oh, by the way, won at Texas and at Baylor. So that win over Kansas State is a quality win for Butler. And Seton Hall took it to them. Butler was never in this game. So good for Seton Hall riding the ship. I said last week, they need to get all three wins. They got the first one, two this week, at Georgetown and at DePaul. Win those two, and Seton Hall is at four and four in the Big East, hosting UConn. And let's give kudos before we end the episode to Princeton. Mitch Henderson has this team right back at it. They've won four games in a row. Since that loss to Iona, they're 3-0 in the Ivy League. They're in first place. They've beaten Harvard, Columbia, and Cornell. They are alone in first place, as I said. Great start for Princeton in the Ivy League. This week, they're at Brown. And then, yes, we can look ahead. Martin Luther King Day, next Monday, at Penn. Two games on the horizon looming large for Princeton, win those two, and Princeton has taken control of the Ivy League race. It's the second week of January. A lot of big games ahead this week, as always, right here in the Tri-State. We'll be watching, and we'll see you again next time for episode 51 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the games. I'm Brian D. Novellis. So long.